Hey everyone, I'm Brent Squires. And I'm Lauren Jubeau, telling stories of the famous and not so famous youth workers, the ideas they had, the ministries they built, and the bumps in the road along the way. You're listening to How'd They Do That. Welcome to season three, episode number 28 of How'd They Do That podcast. Brent and I are excited about this podcast because we've been talking to people all around the country who are doing great things in and around ministry, and we want to share those interviews with you. Yeah, and we want you to not only check out our webpage at htdt.org, but to follow us on Instagram as well at htdtpodcast. And help us spread the word about the podcast by forwarding this episode to someone in ministry who you think could use a little ministry inspiration and encouragement. And in case you haven't been aware, uh, maybe you're just new to the podcast, uh, our podcast, HTDT, has partnered with the Youth Ministry Podcast Network uh, to help encourage and equip youth ministry workers as they point students to Jesus. So we're excited about that. Yeah, we are. And we would encourage you to check out the other podcasts in the network that we partner with, like Controlled Chaos, Multi Multi, Why We Stayed, the Fringe Youth Worker Podcast, and Youth Ministry United. You can find them all on our podcast link and find us at Instagram at Youth Ministry PN. On today's episode, we're interviewing Nate Stuckey. Nate is an author and a former youth worker who uh, is currently serving as a director of the Farminary Project at Princeton Theological Seminary. Yes, I said Farminary, not seminary. You'll have to check that out. Um, just Google Farminary. I think it's the only one that will pop up. He has just released a new book called Wrestling with Rest. The subtitle is Inviting Youth to Discover the Gift of Sabbath. So we sat down with Nate to ask the question, how'd they do that? But first, we're going to do a youth ministry shout out. Every episode, we do a youth ministry shout out, highlighting youth workers around the country who are doing great things in ministry. Today's shout out goes to Steve Dalwig. Steve is the pastor of family and student ministry at Chapelgate Presbyterian Church in Marriott'sville, Maryland. He earned his undergrad at Liberty University and his seminary work at Reformed Theological Seminary. But I would say his biggest claim to fame is that he was my youth pastor when I was in middle school. Way to go, Steve. Welcome to the podcast, Nate. Thank you very much. So glad to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. For those listening, why don't you begin by sharing a little bit about your personal background? Of course. Um, so I grew up on a farm in Kansas and went to college in Kansas, was a music major, got married right out of college, and then moved to the eastern shore of Maryland, where I worked as a youth pastor for six years. That's right. Let's hear it for Maryland. Uh, actually, was. Um, in ministry there um, for six years, serving three churches from three different denominations, and we threw all the youth into one group, and it was kind of uh, amazing and um, nice. and challenging, but but mostly amazing. Um, and then after that, went back to Kansas, farmed for a couple of years, and then moved to Princeton, New Jersey in 2007, thinking I would just get a two-year degree and then go back to work. And that uh, two-year degree transitioned into many more years, and I'm still in Princeton, New Jersey, where I served as director of the farminary at Princeton Theological Seminary. It's a whole other story. Awesome. And for our podcast listeners, uh, where Nate lived at in Maryland, the eastern shore of Maryland, separated uh, the eastern and western half of Maryland or separated by the Chesapeake Bay, that area could not be any more different than the part of Maryland that, that we're we in right in, now, which is Annapolis, Maryland. It's a little more similar to Kansas. 
both beautiful just in their own ways, right? Well, and, beautiful. But I'll say this. Uh, everybody from our side of Maryland drives to that side of Maryland because it's where all the beaches are. Beaches and blue crabs. I think, the, are they cheaper on the Eastern Shore? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. Somebody should do that I'll research project. Probably. Nate, do you have any kids at home? I do. So um, married to my wonderful spouse, Janelle. And then we have three kids, ages 16, 12, and 9. I had to think there. Mm. Very youth, good. Youth ministry and it's prime right there. Yeah. There, as you know, never, never a dull moment. Well, that is awesome. It's great to hear, learn a little bit about you. Um, so talk about the Farminary Project. Let's start right there with that. What is that and what's the connection with that? Yeah. So the Farminary Project is uh, something that's happening here at Princeton Theological Seminary. And if you take farm plus seminary and smash it together, you get farminary. And so uh, Princeton owns a 21-acre farm, and we are developing curriculum and program that get students and faculty and the broader community out at the farm, hands in the soil, to think about how that space uniquely shapes us for ministry and for service in the church uh, and in the world. So it's been a kind of unexpected but wonderful uh, and challenging and fruitful adventure. Is that something that's unique to Princeton or other places have that also? Yeah, so there's a lot of interesting conversations happening kind of at the intersection of theology and ecology or theology and agriculture. But as far as I know, uh, we're the only place that has a farm uh, specifically for the purpose of doing kind of education and formation for leaders. So it's, it is unique, um, even though it's part of a much larger conversation. It kind of blends your skill set so perfectly together. <laughs> you're, you're a youth ministry and you're growing up on a farm. That's exactly right. It's, it's, it's been the whole adventure has been one of those moments of, of um, recognizing that God wastes nothing. And yeah. when I left farming to come to seminary, I just had no idea that this could unfold. Cool. Well, that's super interesting. I've never even heard of anything like that. Um, but Nate is not only at Princeton, he has written a book on Sabbath rest and specifically geared towards students. Am I right on that? That is correct. Uh, Wrestling with Rest is the title. Um, inviting Youth to Discover the Gift of Sabbath is the compelling subtitle. Awesome. And yeah, it's been a, a project of the last decade or so that, that just recently yeah. came out. What motivated you to write that book? It's a great question. Um, I think one of the primary motivations was this deep abiding hunch that emerged both from my own life and from working with young people and from even being in seminary and, and being largely with young adults in the seminary context and just sensing that our stories around rest had somehow gone sideways. In a nutshell, well, one, one kind of image of that there's a, a local coffee shop here in, in Princeton that sells a mug, a coffee mug, and the caption on the side of it is, uh, sleep is for the weak. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's no doubt, like, there's kind of a tongue-in-cheek kind of a message there. But it sure. does tap into this kind of broader kind of ethos around rest or around sleep that kind of looks at it as, um, I don't know, it's, it's, I mean, at its most sort of, of, or when it looks down its nose the most, it's like, well, it's, it, it's kind of a, a sign of weakness or um, mm -hmm. the real strong, uh, the best among us 
don't need sleep or they'll compromise sleep to get some other more important stuff done. So <laughs> I <doesn't> believe that. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and, and well, let's be honest. And I've lived that life, right? right. Um, I've been in those seasons where uh, you look at sleep or you look at rest and it just looks like it completely gets in the way of the things you're supposed to be doing. And so the hunch with the Sabbath was like, wait a minute, we've, we've been saying for a long time that we worship a God who rests. So if rest is part of who God is, why do we think it's like a, 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 a compromise of our identity to right. also incorporate it into who we are? Jim Burns said in his episode, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Yeah, dang. Yeah, there's a whole, <laughs> the, the whole conversation around uh, busyness is enormous. Right. I mean, we could come back to that. It's oh, that could be crazy. a whole episode. Yeah. For us educated people who don't go to Princeton Theological Seminary, um, give us uh, give us a um, somewhat of a biblical background about Sabbath rest. Because uh, you, t- you talk about the God that we serve, that uh, he didn't need to rest, but he did rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't need to rest out of weakness. So talk a little bit about um, the biblical background of the concept of Sabbath and Sabbath rest. Yeah. So Genesis 1, 1 to 2, 3, that seven-day creation story is certainly a starting point. And I um, I lean a lot into the work of the Swiss theologian Karl Barth, just to name my sources, and what he does with his kind of interpretation of the seventh day of creation. Uh, it's become very important for me. But he just kind of looks at it as this, he calls it a saga. It's this big story that's trying to tell us something about who God is and who we are and where we fit in the sort of broader context of the whole creation. And there's this movement through the days of creation and, you know, God is creating light and separating land and waters and, you know, filling the whole thing. And there's this uh, misinterpretation of that story that puts humankind kind of at the at the pinnacle, like it's the, the, the ultimate of creation is uh, humankind on the sixth day. But then Bart's like, well, hold on. That's not the end of the story. <laughs> it's still going here. And that the true culmination of the creation story is not humankind or any other part of creation. It's actually the Sabbath that happens on the seventh day. It's God's rest on the seventh day. And there's, you know, a number of things to, to lift up from that. Um, but as a starting point, the, the, the way day six ends, um, is God gives humankind something like a job description. You know, it's the whole be fruitful, uh, multiply, uh, have dominion over the earth, subdue it. And so, so Karl Barth's like, look, uh, it, it looks like humans are getting their job description on the end of day six. So if we just kind of follow the plot of the story, it seems like you would get to day seven and humankind would wake up and get to work. But that's not how the story goes. Uh, instead, humankind's first full day of existence is God's Sabbath rest. And there is this sort of um, implicit um, message through this story that humankind and the whole creation are invited to rest with God on this seventh day, and that at that point in the story, there's no possible way that the humans can think that they've earned that rest because they haven't done any work yet. The only work on which those humans have to reflect on on the seventh day of creation 
is God's work. So then, then the move uh, that gets made there is to say, look, from the very dawn of creation, uh, grace precedes the law, because at that point, the Sabbath, the rest of the seventh day, it's just a gift of sheer grace. Um, so I, I, mean, I think all of that invites some challenging questions for those of us in ministry. Uh, you know, do we conceive of rest of the Sabbath in particular as a gift of sheer grace, or is it something we're trying to earn by getting enough work done? Um, so there's there's lots of of different stories throughout Scripture that can complement that, but that's really a starting point um, for where I'm at and and just what I see Scripture doing by way of Sabbath. And it's right there, you know, it's you couldn't get much closer to the beginning of the Bible than right there on the seventh day. Right. Yeah, and throughout the Old Testament, there were a lot of pu- uh, punitive moments when uh, when Israel didn't take rest, whether it was the you know the land resting or them resting on the Sabbath. Uh, there was you know so God's like clearly making a case that you know rest is to be a part of your rhythm, even to the point where they you know they faced some harsh realities when they did not. Yeah, so something is at stake there. Like what's what's going on with that? How do we make sense with that? So how have you seen Sabbath rest used both well and not used so well within ministries? Yeah. Um, so one is one story that comes to mind um, that it's so part of the book uh, is I had the opportunity to basically hang out for a semester with 39 seniors in high school and learn to know them and really inquire of them you know, what, how, how do they understand and experience rest? And there was this one student, um, who I'll call Matthew, who was this delightful kid, energetic, but, you know, never stopped moving. When I interviewed him, it's like his leg was bouncing up and down the entire time. And as part of my work with them, uh, the, the these students did a seven-day time diary in which they were supposed to record everything they did for seven days. And so this week that Matthew reports to me, he is in school, you know, five days a week. He works 26 hours at a part-time job. He sleeps less than six hours a night. And when he gets to Friday night, you think, holy cow, this guy's just going to crash, right? Um, But instead, he goes and stays up all night at his youth group's lock-in. And I'm just like... That's why lock-ins are bad. <laughs> that's, that's, that's one reason on a long yeah, one reason on a long list. But it's like so. So there's this whole question of of again, like what are the implicit messages or the explicit messages that the church is sending about where rest figures into our identity or or you know kind of who we are, and the lock-in might be the sort of. Uh, ultimate case study of the church kind of looking at the broader society and recognizing that it's a little bit suspicious of rest or that somehow there's like this this uh, ideal where you don't really need sleep because you're so strong and now we're going to try to outdo society on its own terms and we're going to stay up all night for jesus like <laughs> uh I, I, I just i mean and i get that there's there's that's a that's only one way into the lock-in scenario, and I'm sure people do lock-ins that are great. But um, in this scenario, I'm <laughs> just like I, it was. It was mind-boggling, um, and especially when you knew Matthew's story and you recognized um, what was going on there. 
it's probably really typical of high school kids though. I mean, they're yeah. taking 50 AP classes, they're involved in activities, sports, they're after sports, school. part-time right. job, social life, they're staying up late on social media. And then we're like, why aren't you at church every time we're open? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it drives back to this question of like, when we, when we imagine like, what does a vibrant, faithful young person look like? If we were to sort of map that on anything, on, you know, a, a piece of poster board, does sleep even enter our minds? Does rest, does regular rest even enter our minds as something that should be absolutely integral to the overall picture of that young person? Or are we only listing all the things that you just named about the AP stuff and the sports and the drama and the music and the part-time job and everything and the social media, you know, all that kind of stuff? And if that's all our young people are known for, uh, then I think that through the Sabbath, God is telling us, wait a minute, just stop, right? So worth noting at this point that like the word Sabbath at its roots means to stop, to cease, right? So how do we factor that into our, our ministries? Um, you, you also asked, like, you know, have I seen good examples of, of ministries that kind of lean into the Sabbath? And and there are some wonderful things that are happening. There was a, a local youth pastor here in New Jersey who basically restructured her whole concept of ministry around Sabbath and rest. So when they would do retreats, like, it was like this sacred uh, window on Saturday afternoon. It was like one to four was rest time. And it took like a year or two for students to buy into this, mm -hmm. but it wasn't long. And all of a sudden it was like this, the juniors and seniors were schooling the freshmen and, soft, freshmen and sophomores about like, no, no, you might not think this is good, but just wait, this is the best part of the right. retreat. Right. This should be a requirement. I know Brent always time. says we should do a nap time at our middle school week long summer camp. And, and I agree. Many of the folks laugh, but I'm like, I'm serious. That's how you avoid meltdowns. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and like, yeah. And all, I can tell you all the research is out there as far as adolescent sleep research and all these kinds of stuff that demonstrates what every good parent and youth pastor knows. And that is you deprive them of the sleep long enough and and they are going to melt down uh and you know on one hand that's humorous on the other hand like it leads to to really um uh to, to conditions that profoundly compromise our ability to function you know everything from mental health to blood pressure and hypertension and like the the lack of sleep is it's it's a it's a big deal. Well, and it doesn't set students up to be able to share the gospel well with them either. We've, we've seen some wicked fights over ridiculous things when kids went without right. sleep. <laughs> yeah. And, and even beyond like not positioning them to share the gospel well, it, it, it compromises, I think, their ability to understand what the gospel is in the first place because we, we associate gospel or we over-associate over the gospel with what we can do and achieve and accomplish. And, right. and the Sabbath, I think, is one of God's ways of saying, no, stop. Exactly. It can never, we can never reduce this to what you can achieve. The gospel's 
God's grace is just too big. The podcast uh, is largely listened to by youth pastors, youth directors, youth workers, and so forth. So uh, let's let's look at this from two perspectives. What are some best practices when it comes to creating a rhythm of good Sabbath rest? What are some best practices for youth workers to put into practice in their own lives, and then for youth workers to pass on to their students? So like, you know, give us some, hey, here's some great tips to work this into your life for both, you know, the the paid or unpaid volunteer youth worker, the adult, and then the student. Yeah, yeah. So it's, there's no doubt that the question does ring differently in the ears of the youth and the lay person compared to the paid youth worker compared to the volunteer youth worker. Um, But I do think there are things that we can put into place that can help with this. Um, Yeah, just give us some starting points. Yeah, absolutely. Any of those three categories. Yeah, so I mean, I I think that that some of the rhythms that were established within the Jewish faith uh, have, they can be translated pretty well insofar as like it was a set day and it was the same day and, you know, and it was every week, right? So having uh, an established time, I think, really matters. Um, and not everybody can do that. But if it's possible, do it. And I, and I just want to say, like, um, some might be thinking, well, does it have to be Sunday? And, and wasn't it Saturday for Jewish folks? Yes. And, and I, I just want to say, I think it's the wrong question. Like, when do we have to do this? Uh, I think the better question is, let's just imagine that it is an extraordinary gift and that we can't earn it, but that we can regularly receive it. So then then when will it happen? So, so can you have a, a specific time? The other thing is like, talk to the people you love, right? If you're married, talk to your spouse. If you've got kids, talk to your kids. And don't try to practice this alone. Like, What will it look like for you as a family or for you and uh, your small group or whoever to say, hey, uh, as a group, let's set aside such and such a time, let's set aside Friday evening as a time when we want to receive God's Sabbath rest. And you know what? We're going to get together. We're going to share a meal. Uh, we're not going to talk about work, I don't know, or talk about work, whatever's going to be most restful. And we're going to prioritize going to bed early, you know, something like that. Um, and and then in the midst of that, a, a big part of it is just receiving it as as rest and recognizing that that it's it's a gift from God. Um, yeah, that makes sense because biblical Sabbath uh, was done in the context of community. It, you know, it's not like God told Moses, you know, go off by yourself and take a day of rest. Like yeah. he gave it to the, to the whole to the whole nation to the to the larger community. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, uh, another dimension of the book, I take an entire chapter just to look at Jesus and the Sabbath. Like, what is going on with Jesus and the Sabbath? Because there have been those who look at this and they're like, well, you know, things really get messy with Jesus and the Sabbath. You know. Maybe Sabbath isn't such a big deal after Jesus. Um, but in looking across all of the Gospels and all the texts that involve Jesus and Sabbath, one of the many things that emerges is Jesus is never alone on the Sabbath. Um, there's, it's always, you know, in the synagogue, in, in the temple, with the disciples, sharing a meal somewhere, teaching, uh, healing. And, and so that communal dimension, I think it's too easy for us kind of— um, Folks in the United States who are so influenced by sort of individual consumer culture, I just need my time with Jesus to rest. And like, I, 
it's nowhere in scripture as far as I can tell. I like what you talked about, um, making it more of a family effort. So I have a little one at home. I have a three-year-old at home. So rest is not very often. <laughs> First problem is she overdoes Sabbath I rest. I overdo it, yeah. Her, 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 her Sabbath rests are Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. Rest. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I, I mean, I think one of the reasons why we desperately need a community of folks to help us with this is that it, it just looks so different. You know, my kids, God bless them, are all out of that sort of toddler diaper phase. And so it, it works for us to be, for it to be pretty quiet around the house on Sunday afternoon. And that's, that's part of who we are. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I think we also have to look at worship as kind of a, a really beautiful kind of prototypical example of a sabbath practice i mean there's like if we think in terms of like productivity like what what good is worship really for right what are we achieving in worship worship at its best is the opposite of productivity and productivity and achievement worship at its best is to say you know what our identity doesn't ultimately get parked in in what we can achieve or what we can accomplish our identity gets parked in this god who we come together to lift up and to sort of direct our lives to. Now, I'll confess that gets doubly tricky for the ones who are leading worship because it can easily become this thing that we're trying to produce or achieve. Um, but at its best, right, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with directing this community, coming together as a community and saying, you know what's most important? This relationship that, that we have been given uh, uh, with God in Christ uh, by the power of the Spirit. And that's that's where it's at. Right. Yeah. I, I like the fact that you mentioned about worship because like I know at my house on a Sunday afternoon, especially being in ministry and working, you know, full six, seven hours on a Sunday morning and then coming home in the fall, football dominates our Sabbath day. And, uh, you know, we, we, we love to eat some food and watch some games. And, you know, m multiple times my wife has said to me, Sabbath, our, our day of rest can't just be like napping and watching TV, like there's more to Sabbath than, than physically resting. There is an element where we are focusing on our, our, a part beyond our body and our rest that we're focusing on worship, whether that's being in the word, spending some time as a family and devotions or personal prayer, whatever that's um, sometimes easily left out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and sleeping. Yeah. So, so part of my conviction in this is that God desperately wants to confront us through the Sabbath and that there's a way that, that we can encounter God through rest and through putting down our work that we can't while we are working. Now, I think God wants to confront us and speak to us in our work as well, but there are things that can get addressed when we rest that can't get addressed when we work. And, and one of those things for me is, is, you know, when I talk about identity, that is the question. Like, how do we know who we are and, and, and what does it look like to have an identity that, that is, is rooted in something deeper than what we can achieve or produce? Um, right. And I think, you know, it, God gives us this gift. It, also, <laughs> what's, what's terrifying about that is that the degree to which we have parked our identity and what we can achieve or produce or accomplish or consume, like that the degree we have done that gets cut out from underneath us if we're actually willing to stop it. And that can be terrifying. 
So there's, uh, there's a, there's our, our, I feel our, that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It, I mean, if I can say a bit more about that, the, um, when I worked with these seniors in high school and, and listened closely to their understandings and experiences of rest, they overwhelmingly defined rest with reference to stress and anxiety and worry and pressure. So, so um, when they went through their seven-day time diaries, they're highlighting the things that they recognize as rest, and something qualifies as rest if it reduces their anxiety and stress. So, you know, Netflix, you know what? My stress went down. That, that qualifies as rest. I went on a run and felt much better about myself. That qualifies as rest. Um, so we unpack this, and, you know, there's at some level it makes sense, right? They experience the pressures and the anxieties of everyday life and they long for a reduction of that they would love rest to do that but as we keep unpacking this they go on to confess something of a cruel irony and that is when they try to rest and just like be still that rest creates its own anxiety because when they stop when they slow down they just think of all the stuff that's not getting done and so my interpretation of that is that 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 anxiety signals a threat to the identity that they've inherited from society, from a broader culture that's obsessed with consumption and production. And too often they've inherited that identity from a church that has also told them you are what you can achieve. So of course we're going to panic when we can't achieve because who are we then? They don't know how to be still and quiet. (laughs) Right. And too often, right. They've learned it from us. Yes. We've modeled it poorly. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Asking a more personal question, how have you seen the Sabbath rest shape your own ministry and faith journey? Yeah, well, <laughs> the challenge of all teaching and ministry is to try to abide by our highest ideals and the stuff that we tell other people, right? <laughs> I, I always say, I just teach it for other people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> doesn't apply to me. <laughs> if y'all could just work this out and then get back to me, that'd be great. Let me know. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I feel the the challenge to my own identity i feel the temptation to park my identity in a title or a degree or you know fill in the blank and so there have been times i mean one of the the core arguments of of the book is that sabbath is a practice in receiving life through death and it is that because when we are actually willing to stop, that lesser identity has to pass away. Uh, it has to die so that our truest identity in, in God can, can come to life, can take root. So I've had my moments. I've had my Sabbath moments of, um, you know, being sort of tucked into the fetal position on the floor, right? Like you wonder kind of what's going on and, and the walls are caving in. And you realize you've you've been trusting the wrong thing, and and that's that's rough, right? But then there have also been the moments when you stop and uh, and you realize that you're loved, and you realize that you were never supposed to trust your resume or your curriculum vitae or the number of young people who were showing up to a program or or whatever, and and to receive that affirmation, um, ultimately that that your God's beloved child is is about as sweet as it gets. But but sometimes things have to die in order to get there. 
That's good. Appreciate you sharing that from your own life. Let's go to a, a scenario here and we'll, we'll begin to wrap up. Um, so in youth ministry, and you know this from your years of, of doing this, uh, your typical youth worker, paid or unpaid, but particularly someone that's on staff or part-time, they're typically in over their head. They're working a lot of hours. They've got a lot of responsibilities, both within their youth ministry job description and then all the things assigned to them, even outside of that. They're wearing multiple hats. They're kind of expected to be a jack of all trades. They're trying to build relationships. They're trying to like uh, cultivate leaders and uh, multiply. And then they've got all the responsibilities outside of ministry. So many times they're in over their heads. Uh, when they find themselves in that position, how do they uh, how do they climb out of that to a place where they could at least get some kind of uh, rudimentary um, practices of Sabbath rest? So like, give some advice, if you will, to that person. So, when you look, for example, at the story of the Israelites in the wilderness in Exodus sixteen, and the whole story about the manna and the Sabbaths that are kind of given. In combination, there I, I over the years have become enormously sympathetic with the Israelites. Uh, I used to think they were just silly, and now I'm like, oh wait, no, I am an Israelite. Um, <laughs> I'm an Israelite. <laughs> but they're the instruction to the Israelites is they're not supposed to go out and gather manna on the seventh day, and in fact, there is no manna there. But but some go out and gather anyway, regardless of that. There is this instruction not to go gather on the seventh day. Now, the Israelites could have made a pretty strong argument for their lives depending on them going out to gather manna. They needed to eat. And so, of course, they're going to go gather. And why would they not? Why would they not just go check, right? But instead, God is asking them not to do that. And so, as far as I can tell, like a starting point for Sabbath, and, you know, in whatever way we're feeling buried by life, is is to, to look for, in the same way that, the, that God asked the Israelites to not gather, I think God is asking them, don't do the thing on which it appears your life depends. It, it looks like your life depends on gathering manna, but it actually depends on God. And so to help you remember that, put down that thing that, that, that tempts you to believe your life depends on it, not permanently, but for a day, so that you can remember that your life really depends on God. So I think when, when we feel overwhelmed by life and by ministry, the most counterintuitive thing you can do is stop. <laughs> but, right. I, but I think it's the invitation, and I think it's even the invitation to look at like all the things that are clamoring and to identify the thing that most tempts us to believe, if I don't do that, I'm toast. And put that thing down. Put it down, not permanently, but put it down for an hour. Put it down for 90 minutes, you know, whatever the case, to remember that that task, that responsibility, whatever it is, can never hold your identity captive. Who you are must be rooted in something deeper than that. So, you know, put it down and, and be willing to go through the anxiety, be willing to go through the disruption of your identity, or be willing to go into that amazing realization that your life could actually be, be rooted in this astonishing grace that is ours uh, through God. That's good. That's a good yeah, first step. Super good. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. We'd like to wrap up our time with you by doing a little lightning round where we're going to shoot you a few questions rapid fire style. Are you ready? <laughs> Bring it. <laughs> Don't be nervous. Okay. They're not, not necessarily Sabbath related. So. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> 
All right, question number one. It's a biggie. What is your go-to Starbucks order? Uh, in order to have a go-to Starbucks order, you have to go to Starbucks. Correct. Okay. Do you drink coffee? I do drink coffee. Mostly my get at home. Okay. Good there you go. Us. Neither one of us are coffee drinkers, so. <laughs> nice. No judgment. <laughs> I right. appreciate that. Question number two. What binge-worthy show are you watching on Netflix or Prime? I do not subscribe <laughs> to Netflix, and I don't know if I've ever streamed a show. Wow, because you're busy practicing the Sabbath. Yeah. I get it. I get it. <laughs> That's not true. I've definitely streamed some shows, but like, I don't. It's I got nothing. Fair enough. All right, you're busy writing. <laughs> Princeton's keeping you busy too. That's someone uh, like that. Here's one. Here's one that you'll definitely be able to answer. So who is influencing you the most right now in ministry? So this could be, you know, an author, a podcaster, a pastor. It could be someone that everybody knows, like someone from history, uh, or it could be, um, you know, somebody that is just like a, a personal mentor. Account in your life. Yeah. I just can't say Jesus. We're oh, say see, I was, I was primed. I was ready. Jesus was going to be the answer. Uh, but since apparently Jesus is already taken, um, a few things influencing uh, my time at the farm is enormously influential um, for uh, shaping me in ministry. It teaches me all kinds of things and the things that happen there with students and others is really important. Um, uh, we mentioned this offline a little bit, but I kind of have a love hate relationship with the Enneagram uh, <laughs> that's forming and or deforming me. Um, and, uh, and right now, uh, one of the courses that's being taught at the Farminary by a theology professor here at seminary is called Theologies of Order and Chaos, and it is completely blowing my mind. Good. Good to be challenged and stretched. Yeah, it's happening. All right. Final question. What ministry advice would you give to your younger self? I think I would tell my younger self that both God and the darkness are bigger than you think. I could leave it at that, but the, but part of the undergirding conviction is that, number one, there was just a lot I didn't know as a 22-year-old in ministry, and that there would be journeys through darkness that I couldn't have anticipated, and that God, on one hand, I want to say God is bigger than the darkness, and I would affirm that, but, I, but it's also kind of more complex than that because somehow God has a way of, of journeying into the darkness with us. Um, and we don't always sense that or feel that. So I'm back at, you know, both God and the darkness are bigger than you think as my concise statement of ministry or advice, ministry advice to my younger self. Awesome. Well, that's, that's deep and powerful. So that's good. Well, uh, tell everyone how they can connect with you and plug your book. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for that. So the book is titled Rustling with Rest inviting youth to discover the gift of Sabbath. Uh, the author name on that book is Nathan T. Stuckey, in case you were wondering. Uh, you can learn about the book at wrestlingwithrest.com. You can learn more about the Farminary if you search Farminary. I think we're the only one. You did come up. I searched it before yeah, the did. show. Sweet. <laughs> um, and yeah, you can get the book on Amazon or wherever fine books are sold. Are you a social media person? I've heard of social media. Um, so the short answer is no. The Farminary has some social media presence, and that's 
all done by people who aren't me. Well, thank you, Nate, for coming on the podcast. Uh, This wraps up our time together, and um, we love getting to chat with you. It's been a real privilege. Yeah, it's been a real privilege. Thanks so much for having me. All right, Lauren, um, any final thoughts on this uh, episode? Well, I thought Nate was just an awesome guest to listen to and um, super encouraging to me personally, but especially there at the end when he was saying, um, look at your life and the thing you're holding on to the most strongly, that's the thing you need to put down. And he said, not forever, but maybe you need to put it down for an hour, for a day, for a week. Um, And I, I mean, that was speaking right to me. I know exactly what I need to put down for a little bit and, um, you know, not worry about. Yeah. And I appreciate the fact that when we asked him like how, about his journey with Sabbath, he didn't say, Oh, it's super simple. Here's what I do. <laughs> right. So like he actually kind of paused and hesitated and said, you know, this is a struggle for me too, because I find my identity in a lot of things or titles. Um, and, and instead of relying on God all the time and say, I'm going to, I'm going to rest and not work to perform and achieve, but I'm going to rest. Um, that was encouraging. I also like the idea of family Sabbath a whole lot. You don't really hear about that very much, I don't think. Yeah. And it also gives me some more firepower from when I want to take naps. <laughs> hey, as a uh, as an added bonus for anyone who listened to this episode, the first person that uh, comments on the HTDT social media will receive a free copy of Nate's book, Wrestling With Rest. So just hit us up on social media, on our Instagram, uh, at HTDT Podcast. Comment on this episode. You can say anything about Nate's book or that you loved us or that I was awesome, Lauren was okay. Um, and we will send you a free copy of Wrestling with Rest. That's the first person. Not everybody, just the first one. Be the first. More great episodes are in the work, but we'd like to hear from you too. Who would you want us to interview? Who should we bring on as future guests? Hit us up via our webpage or social media, and we'll do everything we can to try to bring them on the show. What's that webpage, Brent? www.htdt.org. That's HTDT as in how'd they do that. And if this podcast has been a blessing to you, please give us a five-star rating and review so we can continue to keep more great episodes coming. And special thanks to those who help us put each and every episode together. Production coordinator, Josh Laurie, administrative assistant, Allie Batan, and a very special thanks to Garrett Atkinson of GDNA Productions for providing all the music for the podcast. Until next time, this is Lauren Jabot and Brent Squires answering the age-old question, how'd they do that?